Welcome back to Love and Grit, folks. I'm Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And if you haven't figured it out yet by listening to this show, you should know that Philadelphians are the masters of all veins of creativity. Yeah, we said it. This episode, please allow us to introduce you to two masters and legends of dance. We first dive into the history and the impact of Philly on the dance world via one of the most historic ballerinas of all time, Philodenko's Dr. Joan Myers-Brown. Then we dive into how the legacy continues through the innovation and accomplishments of a legend in the making, AKA Ben Box One Barnes McGee, who is making history taking break dancing straight to the Olympics. Oh yeah, this is gonna be another great episode. But first, around the Philly phase. Where is your favorite place to look at holiday lights in and around Philadelphia? I'm not changing my answer ever. What's that? My fave is Shady Brook Farm. I love their light show. I'm not changing. Can we please go together? You can roast marshmallows. What? Yes. If you stay in your car, then you can listen to music with the radio station pairing it to what you're seeing. What? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That sounds fun. I was going to give the quick, the fast, and then you in a rush, but you want to see some Christmas lights answer. I'm going to just do Boathouse Row because, oh. you know, no matter where you're going or what you're doing, for that one second when you pass, you're like, oh. don't. She said don't blink the one second. Oh, even if you're not a holiday person like <clears throat> myself, you can still have a moment where you go, oh, Boathouse Row looks really nice. All the time. Mine is in you're South right. Philly, South 13th Street. Miracle on 13th Street, one of the favorite things to visit during the year. Ooh. Isn't it one of those special shuttles, too, that you could get on and look oh, yeah, at all you the go different through it. One of the tours mm-hmm. goes through. Yeah, the so, whole neighborhood yeah. participates. It's really cool. All right. Well, y'all ready to get this? Let's do this. Since Love & Grit started, we have focused on making sure the world understands the greatness of Philadelphia's contributions and innovations to the atmosphere. We cannot truly make this claim without celebrating our next guest, Dr. Joan Myers-Brown. Most Philadelphians know Dr. Myers-Brown for her life-changing dance company, Philodenko, which she founded in 1970 for Black dancers. This school has produced so many amazing stories from dancers, studio owners, and many more children who are now productive, creative adults. However, This is just the tip of the iceberg when speaking of a woman so great as Dr. Joan Myers-Brown, who went on to create the International Conference of Black Dance Companies and the International Association of Blacks in Dance. You see, when it comes to Black folks in the dance community, she has fought the fights, taught the classes, she's also a professor, danced the choreography, received all the awards, and now even has a book written about her pivotal life, Joan Myers-Brown and the audacious hope of the Black ballerina. Oh, and she's celebrating her 90th birthday this Christmas. Happy birthday. Uh, You're hired. You're hired. You're my new publicist. True story. I want to make sure I honored you correctly because it's been a long career and all the things you've contributed to the world, it's hard to get in one intro. So thank you. And I'll stop sweating now. (laughs) I just keep wondering, why am I still working so hard? I'm wondering the same thing. It's okay. (laughs) I like what I do. It's fine. It's funny you say that because one of the things immediately when I saw that you were going to be the guest today, I was so, so excited. We're so honored to have you here. The first question that came to my mind was with your career and everything that you've done and being a trailblazer, at what point did you realize like, wait, I've made it. When did that really set in and and you were able to just take a pause and be in that moment? 
guess what? That moment never happened. I knew she I'm was still first. trying to make it work. I'm still trying to make it work for Philadelphia. I'm trying to make it work for other people. And I'm just, you know, I'm lucky I've had wonderful people to support me, to help me, to make sure that whatever I tried to do would happen. So I'm grateful. I say I'm 100% blessed. Can yes. we go back a little bit and just ask you the question of when did you first fall in love with dance? Well, actually, when I was 17 years old, my dance teacher at West Philadelphia High School had the ballet club for little white girls. And she told me that maybe I should come to the ballet club because I should dance. And I'm like, dance, you know, I can boogie, I can dance. She said, no, you need to come to the ballet club. And of course, when I got there, a little white girl was like, why are you here? And I had no idea what I was doing. But I looked at them and said, well, if you can do this, I can do it too. But I was lucky. I had a little white girlfriend that would teach me in the morning what she learned at her school in the afternoon because there were no schools for black kids. Mm -hmm. So that's when I fell in love with the challenge that if given the opportunity that I should be able to do this too. But it was a long time coming and I'm still fighting for that for our black girls. I've got great staff who want to make sure that what we do continues to happen for the next generation. Ballet has to start looking like America. It's got to be for anybody that feels that bug and feels that they want to be this kind of dancer. But it costs money too, right? You can't just say like, I want to be a dancer. You have to go to school somewhere, right? And that, that's part of the barrier to entry. You're right. Most of our girls don't get the opportunity, but our parents don't take them to see ballet. Our parents yeah. don't invest in kids for dance because they think it's a hobby. It's mm. a career. It's a life-saving opportunity. You learn so much discipline, perseverance, and you learn about your body and your life. Yeah. So, you know, there are lots of issues, but mainly access is the most important you know, even now, it's hard for us to make the little black girls take ballet because wow. all they see, hip hop, boogie down, twerking, that's all they see. But you would think Misty has changed that a little bit. There's a book now. She just wrote a book, Black Ballerinas. 50 Black Ballerinas within that book? Yeah, before her. I would love to know what it takes to even have a dance company. How long does it take to get the word out, to get students, to be able to make your bottom line? How is that hustle? Well, I started my company 10 years after I started my school. I started the school in 1960 to train girls that I was training, thinking that 10 years later, I could send them out. They'd end up in ballet comes and they bounce back, bounce back. And I'm like, well, what I got to do some of these kids out and beat them up and tell them how to dance. <laughs> that's when I started my company thinking they would leave. No, it's a family. You know, I, other, I know they call me. you Aunt Joan. Definitely Aunt a family. Right. But. Guess what? One of my dancers that I started the company for, she's coming to my concert. I'm honoring Lee Daniels, who's one of my kids. I'm and sorry. Oh, Lee Daniels, too, was a student. Lee Daniels was one of my little tap dancing boys, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to honor him. I know that I made a difference in lives, not just that they were able to dance, but their life changed because they got that opportunity to do that. And it's happened, of course. Leslie Odom, come on. Uh, yes. That's a long list to have a successful career. They didn't end up being dancers, but they became better people and better at what they do. You told a story about how you got some football players to yep. start dancing. Yeah, well, I started with uh, just little girls. But when I said I was going to have a company, I got to have boys. And over West Philadelphia High School, they had a play and the dance teacher had used some of the boys. I said, send those boys over to me because I need some boys and tell them they can dance with the pretty girls. You know, 
course, they came. They came looking for the girls, but they fell in love with dance too. I had a wonderful teacher that made them know that it's about being strong and it's about being smart and it's about being able to do something other than play football. Yeah. One of my dancers now that was in that first group, I sent him to school to learn how to paint and paper hang so he could make money, then come back and dance at night. He's now working for me doing renovations in the building. A lot of Full the circle. A lot of the dancers ended up in the Ailey Company. Are you the farm king for Ailey and Dance Theater Harlem? Do you have some some of those babies too? But Robert Garland was in the, my first Philadelphia company. He's the artistic assistant artistic director. The executive director, Anna Glass, was my intern at the Kennedy Center in the program. I cannot. So, you know, I ain't bragging. I'm just helping. Yeah, but let them know, Dr. Mize, let them know. And like what you said about your parents taking you to shows, it's so important. My parents took me to see the Nutcracker and took me to see the Heinz Brothers dance and Debbie Allen and Michael Peters and people like that. Yeah, well, Michael Peters choreographed for the Philadelphia. I babysat babysat for the Heinz Brothers when we were dancing in the Cap Calloway show. (laughs) Name them all, name them all, I'll tell you about it. Wait, I'm going to tell everybody, I don't know who Michael Peters is. You know Michael Peters from Michael Jackson's Beat It video, and he was the head of the gang in the white jacket, mm-hmm. but he choreographed that video. He also really? choreographed like many, yeah. many other videos and, and dances. He was an amazing dancer, rest in peace. I just want to make sure that we ask the one question. When you received either the call or the letter regarding the National Medal of Arts, mm. were you in shock or were you like, it's about time? Or what, what was your reaction to that? Well, I think my main reaction was it was Obama. To get an honor from the first and one only black, and he fine, fine, fine. Mm, talk about <laughs> I think my kids were more excited than me. My daughter took pictures in the bed. I'm in the White House bathroom, but it was the thrill of my lifetime. But also the award itself, the National Medal of Art, meant that what I did with the art, what I did with my company, what I did with kids was appreciated. It's so mm. special. All these things that you've accomplished, all these countries you've been to, why do you continue your relationship with your hometown like that? What is it about Philly? Well, I'm a Philly girl. And I think if I had something to give back, I needed to give it back to Philadelphia. Not only that, when I started IBD, the National Association for Blacks and Dance, I reached out to people across the country who were doing what I was doing, say, can we get together and work and make things possible for ourselves that we can't get? So I don't know. I don't know. I, I say, I guess I got founder's disease or something. I'm always starting <laughs> stuff. You're an innovator is what we're going to say. Plus, Philadelphians have some talent that I just swear nobody else in the world has. Philly has got some good stuff going on. I mean, music, art, everything is here in Philly. But again, access. Why do we have to leave Philly to go to New York? Why do we have Zane Booker, who is one of my kids, he ended up in Holland. Then he ended up in Monaco. So he could have an opportunity. Now he's back teaching for me, of course. (laughs) They all come home. Right. And we say gone without the E. They gone, but they be back. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something about Philly, the creative energy that's been here for years continues. How do you keep your mind, body and spirit so youthful? What did I tell my daughter? She said, Mom, you old now. And I said, I'm not old. I'm just bold. Just when you think you are aware of all the art forms that Philadelphians have mastered, 
we put you on to another one. Enter Breakdancing's debut at the Olympics in 2024 and the need for all to know the name Ben Box One Barnes McGee, a.k.a. Supreme Yamin. I mean, he is a four-time world champion b-boy with nearly 60 titles to his name, founder of Bread to Burn, a hip-hop dance education and development program, and has now joined the leadership team of the Breaking Division that's planning Breaking's debut at the 2024 Paris Olympic Games. Breakdancing at the Olympics. When you first heard it was a go, what was your reaction? Honestly, I was blown away. I knew some of the people in the background who had been working to try to make this thing happen for some time. So when I got the news that it was official, it was kind of just like, wow, okay, we're making those steps. Like, this is a big, big deal. It matches up perfectly, you know, with the athleticism, and especially with there already being a category of dance sport. With breaking being the most dynamic dance style, it was a perfect fit. It was bound to happen. Were you like, I'm going to the Olympics? No, I had to be real with myself. By the time the games hit, I'll be like 31, you know, trying to compete against 21-year-olds. Educate me, because I think most of us thought that breaking was the first dance sport that was acknowledged by the Olympics. What's the other ones? No, no. Yeah, it's the first dance sport discipline to be implemented in the games. But under the WDSF, which is the World Dance Sport Federation, they Uh govern dance sport in general. And they have ties to the Olympics. But outside (laughs) of breakdancing, it's like there's no battle element right because well, that's the, the thing beat, with- i think is going to be the best part of it I yeah right decide that been what the music will be played i think with the music is going to have to do a lot with licensing we get in trouble for that nowadays at events playing classic hip-hop music that's like part of the culture but once it's a live stream on youtube youtube's like nah so there's going to be a lot of djs out there you know producing music and creating exclusive music i know red bull had brokered a deal with Timberland's Beat Club to create music specifically for Red Bull events. So that's given opportunities to all kinds of folks in the music business. Can we kind of go back to a little bit of the beginning when you took breakdancing from a thing you just do to it's a career? How did that happen? I had been competing for about five, six years. I was a big name on the East Coast, you know, consistently winning, building my reputation. And uh, honestly, I felt I was at a point where I felt like I was getting overlooked. I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted, that I felt I deserved. People who I had beat in competitions were being flown to Europe, to Japan, all these other places to compete. And that was my dream. I was kind of at a breaking point and I kind of just remember like... Eminem's story of, you know, oh, if it don't work out here, then I'm done with it. So he put everything into it. I kind of just put all my chips in one basket. I had the opportunity to go to London to compete with the Monster Energy team and do a world championship event. And I just stranded myself there. You know, I just didn't take my return ticket back. And I couch surfed for six months. I lived off of competition winnings, classes. I danced on the street. I just did what I had to do to make my name. And it all worked out in the end. Yeah, the journey of making money as a dancer must be very different in the breakdancing field versus ballet, jet, like other places. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think there are more established platforms for other dance styles. Obviously, breakers can take advantage of these, you know, if they join a theater company or they get into like the performance art aspect of it. But if you want to stay true to like the cultural roots of just being within the scene, within the culture, the battles, the jams, things like that, it's kind of just really a self-contained thing where it's like, okay, I might get paid to judge this event, but then I can also teach a workshop. Then maybe there's a battle the following day that I can actually enter and I'll get winnings from there. And then when you have a name, you get paid a fee to come out and make an appearance and things like that. You just got to be creative. with So everything how do you end up on the team to plan the Olympic debut of this? Honestly, when it, when everything first started kicking off, there were a bunch of organizations trying to bid for, I don't want to say control, but to help direct this whole initiative because it's a new thing. There's no structure that's in place for us to follow. You know, we're creating it from the ground up. I'm always somebody who's been heavily invested in the community. So 
I was always offering advice and trying to help and help steer things and direct things. Organizations came calling. They, they felt that was good. I was on the board of directors of one organization. That organization fell through. And then with USA Dance, who's the recognized sports organization for the U.S., I had been brokering conversations between both of them. So then when things fell with the one organization, they were just like, hey, we want to bring you over here. We see the work ethic that you put in. You have the head for this. Like We think you would be an asset. And here I am. So it's the combination of what you've done in the dance world. And do you think it also has something to do with bread to burn and what you've done in a community that kind of got all these folks attention? I kind of feel like it's just more so people know what I stand for and they know what I'm about. And, you know, I never really compromised that before the Olympics was a thing. I've always been about what I was about. So, you know, people recognize that and they trusted me. They actually saw that the community trusted me. So they thought it would be smart to just have me on board. What you about? I mean, I'm about the culture. I'm about making sure that the art is the forefront. You know, I understand that there is an athletic component to this, especially with competitions and battles and things like that. But at the end of the day, I don't want this to just get lost as it's another sport. Yeah, I was worried about yeah. that because I was like, it is a dance or a sport that is based on the culture of black and brown people. So yeah. it's I storytelling is folk art. That's so important to maintain and keep in the front. What's the breaking scene like in Philadelphia compared to other places? Yeah. Right now it's in a rebuild. We We've been historically known to be funky, you know, those dancers, you know, with us having such a rich musical history, we've always portrayed that on the dance floor. You know, when people are going out trying to do like the best moves, like we go out, we take our time, we listen to the music, our characters there, our style is there. We've always been the freshest. When you talk to people from New York, they say the thing about Philly is they make it look easy. That's what everything. So, I mean, yeah, you know, we're yeah. the hidden gem. We're the hidden gem. Sometimes we get in our own way, though. We're so talented that we don't want to go out there and get it. We're just like, nah, I'm cool right here. Like, if they want to see me come here. And, you know, I had that mentality for a long time, so I know it. How'd you get out of it? I saw more of the world. Yeah, yeah truly. I saw what was out there. You know, I kind of got out of my own way because I feel like. Honestly, that's just like a defense mechanism. You're scared to see what's out there. You're scared to be challenged. You're scared to have that bubble bursted. So you really just try to find somewhere to be comfortable in and sit there. You know, it's like big fish, little pond. Oh, I was just about to say that. Don't take my words. (laughs) How old were you when you started breakdancing? I started breaking when I was 16. I know. I'm so white that I keep saying breakdancing. It's okay. It. It's for the it's for the general audience. This is the yeah, only way they'll know. Yeah. But we you know they take this time to educate. Because you could be know. just breaking up stuff, Justin. You could mean what time? When did you start just breaking stuff up? <laughs> so, well, yeah, I was but sixteen. This seems a little late in life, right? It is late. Uh, you know, okay. some of these kids start at ten, and then by the time they're eighteen, they're they're masters and stuff. You know, but I got in at sixteen. I worked super hard. I was dedicated. That allowed me to catch up a little bit faster. Where did yeah, that drive come from to keep pushing and making money and making this work when it's not like a traditional career? So you really had to like forge your own path. For one, it was like when I was younger, people told me, oh, there's, there's no future in that. I wanted to make something. I wanted to show them that like I could do all these things in spite of that. Also, I was super competitive when I was younger. I used to always say like, I'm gonna be the best in the world by the time I'm 25. And I worked towards that every day. I really didn't like to lose. I still don't like to lose. That was a great motivator. You know, life, man. I came to a point where I realized that I tried to quit doing this so many times, like eight times I tried to quit. And I just realized that I can't. I ask my students now, I'm like, why do you break? And they're like, oh, well, you know, well, why do you break? And I'm like, because I can't, like, I can't not do it. Well, Philly is very proud of you, without a doubt. Yeah. This is amazing. It's so fun to look forward to the yeah. 2024 Olympics. I read a quote from you where you said that Philly is not in my heart. Philly is my heart. 
yeah we love you but we're gonna make sure you, you're doing what you need to do and i'm not gonna tell it to you any type of way other than what it is and if my students hear that they'll be like yeah that's him thanks so much for listening and if you wouldn't mind do us a favor rate and review our podcast wherever you listen rachel this is when you insert and only if you have something pleasant or polite to say. We, we would appreciate it. it. Say it in the same tone as Rachel is. Write it in that tone that Rachel is speaking to you in. <laughs> it with love. If you can add a little grit. That's enough, Thank everybody. You. That's enough. <laughs> they go to grit. Thanks, Justin. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs>